Pee on every snap and have fun. And last, and most importantly, be physical. We got to do coach. We got to do coach. Okay, folks, welcome to episode 16, Hard Edge Football Podcast. And we are live from Monroe, Louisiana, Funroe, Louisiana. And I'm with my partner, the chief of stuff here at ULM Football, the big fella, Dusty Rutledge. Hey, great to be here again. And, of course, my partner, broadcast partner, Raquel. What's happening? Yes, we're back, but we're not live, Dad. You know it is a podcast, right? Well, all that. Yeah, but you know, it sounds better for you all. Listen, it sounds better if we say live because we do tape this live. We don't do like like three or four takes. We just kind of do like one take. And then if it's totally screwed up in a certain section, then Raquel has the ability to edit it out. Right, Dusty? I feel live. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we're good. We're good. A lot going on. We're not scripted. That's what I'll say. We're not scripted. (laughs) There you go. But as we speak. You know, this was National Signing Day, number two signing day. The early one was in December, which is really the de facto signing day. So this was a signing day, probably not a lot of signees across the country and a little bit different, uh, but it's still uh, fun for a lot of young uh, players and their parents and their families and their schools if they get a chance to sign and uh, let everybody know their intentions. Can you, you feel about signing day? Do we need, do we need a signing day? Oh, we have we not talked about this, Raquel? The signing date? Do we really need one? My question is, um, what? So obviously, February the February date usually was the only signing day. Then a couple years back, you had the December signing day. Why was that? Why did they add the December signing day? I don't know. Well, there was a lot of there was. A, I remember being on the coaches committee, and there was a lot of discussion about that. It's like kids. There were so many kids committed, and 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 coaches felt like if they know they want to, you know, sign, why are we making them wait till February? We're wasting mm-hmm. money. It's it's a lot of aggravation and and all that kind of stuff. So if they're ready to sign earlier in December, let's let them sign. And that's why, again, for the umpteenth time, I said, why are we putting a date on in December? Why don't we just treat it like the real world? And the two sides come to agreement and they want to sign. Let them sign, whether it's in December, October, their junior year, their freshman year. If you're a school and you're off in freshman, you're that sure about it? Well, then put the paper out there and give them opportunity to sign. And the player, again, can protect himself by saying if he signs as a sophomore or a junior and when he becomes a senior, uh, there's a different coach in place, a head coach in place at the institution, then he can get out of it and sign with someone else. We or, may maybe a, yeah. or maybe a different position coach as well. Yeah, that's another fact. You go to that kind of detail. So, And the school's protected because if the, if, the, if the young man or woman – uh, whatever sport it is, doesn't qualify academically or they get in trouble or they do something egregious uh, by law or by NCAA rules that allows them not to be eligible, then the school can get out of the scholarship. So I think that'll eliminate some of these crazy, some people are offering just to offer and some young people are taking the commitments just to get a commitment and then they see what's better out there. So I think it cleans it up. Maybe it makes too much sense. I don't know, but there's not nearly the drama in February signing days as there used to be. And that's probably a good thing. What do you think about though? um, Now there's a new 
obviously with the social media and digital age, people will do really cool commitment videos where they have neat production commitment videos. What do you think of those? I think if it's not over the top, I think the ones where you involve your family, maybe thank your teammates, your coaches, I think that's kind of neat. But I mean, maybe, you know, it's almost like trying to one up each other. That's I guess that's the day. That's the age, right? Dusty, yep. you try to uh, TikTok over TikTok somebody or Instagram it or Snapchat it or I'm going to have more uh, likes on my the way I do my commitment video. And if they work as hard and being on the football player on their craft as they do that, then shoot, you're going to be in good shape. But sometimes it's all downhill from there. <laughs> exactly. Drama. No drama. No drama. We're a little bit old school here. Me and, me and the big fella. Yeah, you guys do things a little old school. But another exciting thing that happened this week in college football is now they're bringing back EA Sports College Football Edition. You've had four, two former players be on the cover. How exciting is that? I remember when kind of all the issues came out in 2014 or 2015, I believe, that time frame, 2014, 2015 where they didn't have the game anymore because of paying player issues. Now they're bringing it back and you've had two players be on the cover, Owen Schmidt and Denard Robinson. How exciting is that you think for the players? Well, I just realized somebody told me today that actually the last cover that they had before right. the game was disbanded was Shoelace, Denard Robinson, mm-hmm. who just recently t- uh, touched base with me. And I just love the guy. I mean, he you know, one of the most exciting college football players and, in the last decade. So it was great to see that. Owen Schmidt, obviously, you know, Schmidt happens. You know, everybody that follows West Virginia saw Owen remember his day. So I think though that thing I didn't I didn't play the game, but I know a lot of players really enjoyed it. They liked you mean you didn't play video there. games? No, I didn't. Did you play Dusty? <laughs> no, no video games. You know what though? I did play, I used to play NASCAR. Huh? Oh, okay. oh, I'd sit in front of the TV and I could race two oh. laps at Daytona or Indianapolis, but yeah, yeah, stay to your left and hurry back. That's, that's right. right. Here you go. You know, but no, I, I know a lot of guys enjoyed it, and a lot of players like seeing their 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 likeness out there and kind of seeing what the ratings were. And you know, I was a coach. You rather them obviously, you know, doing schoolwork and then football. But in a lot of ways, I remember this. Remember this stuff. So you we, you could put your playbook or your plays on those players' games, right? And so they could actually use your plays on that PlayStation or what have you and kind of learn the offense a little bit by doing it. I thought that was pretty neat. And you, you'd be amazed at how many people have come up to me who are early, early thirties, late twenties who say West Virginia. I always played with Pat White and Steve Slayton. Right. When I played EA sports or anything. I always wanted to be West Virginia. So it is. I, yeah. Whatever gives your program some exposure it was a game years and years ago where Bo Jackson, Tecmo Bowl. Tecmo Bowl. Yeah, Bo, Bo Jackson. Jackson, you want to be Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson. Jackson, Pat White, and Steve Slayton were to uh, PlayStation, whatever that was. Uh, what Bo Jackson was to Tecmo. Exactly. There you go. That's our description. What do you think that'll mean for um, college football players uh, now with the name, image, and likeness? I mean, I didn't see. Did they make a deal with EA No. Sports? Yeah, from what I understand, work? the NCAA part of it and the paying players – a part of it is not included just yet. Now there are, right. um, you know, senators and and politicians in in Washington D.C. trying to make them get monetize it, but as of right now, because they're not named, you know, giving the players is just doing kind of, you know, you can kind of tell who it is, you know, probably the way they, but they're not using the names, okay. the players' names, image, and likeness yet. I think that's probably going to happen. I'm not opposed to to getting the guys a little bit more money, but. It's all going to get out of whack, as we talked about earlier. Because if I was a kid and I walked on at Clemson, 
I would go in and say, Coach Sweeney, can I please be number 16? So when 16 sells a jersey, hey, it's not it's not all for uh, Trevor Lawrence. Some of that might be because of me. Well, odds are pretty good. Coach Sweeney would say, no, you can have number 96. <laughs> or, or 61, not 16. Or if there's a – hey, if they put a fat guy on the sideline, I want to cut. <laughs> Circling back to signing day and recruiting, are you excited about the ULM's class? Yes, we. I don't know uh, a whole lot about the 13 guys that signed back in the early signing period, December. We obviously weren't here. Uh, so there were a lot of guys that signed then. So we had limited numbers. And what we've talked about in the staff, Coach Bowden and, and all the rest of us coaches, that you know we need to hit the portal. We need to hit the transfer portal. We need to find some – some guys that could come in immediately help. And that could be high school guys or it could be transfer guys. And so we've been really deliberate in our approach to filling out the remainder of this 25 member class. And uh, we'll have a few guys, obviously had a few guys sign, um, but the rest of them we're looking for basically 10 to 12 guys uh, that can come in and we think can make us better immediately mm-hmm. and compete for a starting spot as soon as they get here. Is there one uh, position specifically that ULM is very thin depth-wise in? Yeah, what do you think, Dusty? Probably O-line. O-line. We, O-line numbers. Our O-line. Not, not, not so much the talent level, but we're, right. we're down numbers in the offense. I know line. we talked about it before, but people that follow college football, you know, you got 85 scholarships, and you have to have a formula when you break it down. You have so many O-linemen on scholarships, so many D-linemen, so many wide receivers, you know, running backs, et cetera. And sometimes those number can, can numbers can get a little out of whack. But sometimes they're way out of whack, particularly when there's a coaching change. And so, you know, our old line number is usually around 16. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a wideout number is normally around 9 or 10. Well, we've got 13 wideouts and only 11 linemen. And so mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't corrected with the 13 guys that signed early. So we we are, you know, intentionally, you know, kind of focused to get those numbers right. It's, it's, not, it's going to take more than a year. It's going to take a couple years to get it right but eventually we will. So there's kind of a big game this weekend in the National Football League. No, you think? <laughs> <laughs> the Super Bowl, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, who is your prediction? Well, this is, I do think, is a very interesting, intriguing game. You know, the, the NFL, I think, did a great job having the season, so on and so forth. But now you have – Two outstanding coaches who I think the world of Andy Reid obviously has won one. And then my friend Bruce Arians, BA, is in the Super Bowl with a chance to get his first one. They've got the go to quarterback, Dusty Tom Brady. You got maybe the most talented quarterback in the league right now on the other side, Pat Mahomes. So it starts with head coaches and quarterbacks. And they got skilled players on both sides that are outstanding. I know the Chiefs are favored by three. I'm going to go with my heart a little bit and pick B.A. and the Buccaneers in an upset. I think Tampa's defense uh, is probably not talked about as much. They've done – Todd Bowles has done a great job. They've got some players on defense. I think Kansas City will make some plays. The line is 56. I think they're going to be right on. Those dudes that make those lines are pretty sure – it might be just a tad over. But, all right, take – give me the points. Give me the three points. I think Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Bruce Arians and Tom Brady and the Gronk are going to win the Super Bowl. I disagree. Oh, I'm, you go with the old guys. I'm going to go with the young guys. Since you're the old guy on this podcast and I'm the young guy, you've got me by at least three and a half years. So I'm going Patrick Mahomes 
Tyreek Hill. Is it Tyreek? Tyreek. Yeah, Tyreek Hill. I don't know his name. I know he can run. He can run. Tyreek Hill, Kelsey at tight end. I'm going young. I'm going Chiefs. Back-to-back Super Bowl champs. And don't get overconfident now, Dusty, if Kansas City takes an early lead. Because we've seen that happen before against Tom Brady. And what happened? Tom Brady's coming back. I know what you're thinking. Tom Brady, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. But every now and then, the young guy. Young guy's a freak. He might be the greatest of all time, but the greatest right now. That's a, Patrick. I'm going Patrick Mahomes. I know. I, Patrick Mahomes is a, is a freak. Uh, he's just a dominant player. Love him. Just love to watch him. He's just – He's incredible. Now I'm going to root for the Buccaneers because of Larry Foote, linebacker coach for the uh, He's the Antoine best. Randall L. I'm going – I hope they win, but I'm, I'm going Chiefs. Yeah, we got to go – We get you know, no more guys on the staff at Tampa right. than, than Kansas City. But now good guys on both sides. Um, should be fun to watch. Do you guys have fun Super Bowl watching plans? You know, uh, it's going to be great to be with the family – uh, be in a, in a big in the theater, try a big screen TV kind of deal. Uh, I'll get to see. I haven't seen the little puppies, you know, in a while. A little Rambo and Roxy. I'm sure little Rambo will be uh, wired in. He likes to watch football, you know. So Rambo will be on my lap, all right, ready to go. My watching experience will be: I'll be in Oxford, Mississippi, with my wife Jennifer. Um, my dog Titus, who happens to be the cutest dog. And the best dog on the planet. Oh, Titus he, is a good dog. He 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 doesn't care. He'll sleep through the whole game. <laughs> so I'll be sitting in a chair. Titus will be behind me, laying on my shoulder, and sleeping. Uh, on a side note, I know we're going off track here, but you know, I uh, we were never really pet people for a long time, and then we got little Roxy, and then little Rambo. You know, like your life revolves around your your little puppies, and you're like, I can't imagine doing anything without them there. And so, uh, I'm anxious. You know, if, if you got an opportunity to adopt a pet, to get one out of harm's way, no question, do it. You know, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. And uh, you know, I know Raquel. She's uh, you know, we had a little episode with Roxy that just scared the heck out of you oh, uh, here gosh. a couple weeks ago, but uh, yeah, they're all good. And uh, Rambo would sit. I remember when he visited us in uh, in uh, Ole Miss, and he'd sit on my lap for five hours watching film. Didn't move. <laughs> just move one captivated, time. captivated by the RPO uh, section of our offense. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember when West Virginia, your mother would bring in the dogs, and you'd be like, "Oh, dude." Yeah, my mom's yeah, always been good with the dogs. She, yeah, I never wanted did. a dog either because you thought, uh, but now they. No, unconditional love exactly i my wife there's like times my wife doesn't like me my dog <laughs> likes me all the time yeah exactly <laughs> so we're going to be explaining some football terms back again on this episode of hard edge football first one the one two three ball that explain what this is it's not common knowledge but i think a lot of quarterback guru type of guys and and um, and different staffs used to describing the ball, the quarterback throws in a certain trajectory as a one ball that goes like a line drive, a two ball that's a little arc to it, and then a three ball is the one that's a, kind of a high and then drop down kind of a ball. And that's good. I, I really not thought about, oh, that's a one ball, it's a two ball, three ball. I give it a little bit more descriptive terms. 
All right. Now, sometimes the players look at me like, coach, what are you talking about? <laughs> but my one ball is the frozen rope. That's pretty descriptive, right? It's a line drive. It's a rope that's frozen straight. Okay. Frozen rope. My second one, the ball that has a little arc to it, is an inverted clothesline. People don't know, like, what is a clothesline? Maybe they've never seen someone dry their clothes outside. I've seen it. I've seen people dry their clothes hooked up from a trailer to a satellite dish. All right. I've seen an inverted clothesline. A clothesline kind of sags a little bit. When you put all the clothes on there, it sags down a little bit. Well, an inverted clothesline would be the just the opposite if it was a little bit of a kind of a half moon on top. So, thus, a two ball is an inverted clothesline. And then a three ball to me, that high arcing thing is a drop in the bucket. In other words, if you're throwing the ball quarterback 40 yards down the field, you want the ball to have the trajectory that it would drop down in a bucket and stay in the bucket, not knock the bucket over, but stay in the bucket, that kind of arch, that kind of trajectory. So you can use one, two, and three, and that seems easier, but no, all right, more descriptive, frozen rope, inverted clothesline, drop in a bucket. Does it make sense, Sethi? Makes all the sense in the world because I grew up, we had a clothesline. Yeah. <laughs> Tips of the day. So for the inverted clothesline, so would a rainbow be a little bit too much arc for you? Oh, no, most definitely. <laughs> yeah, you you too much. You've not you will not see a clothesline with a rainbow type of arc. That would be a three ball. Unless they had like all kinds of blankets. Hanging on that clothesline exactly. <laughs> or your bed sheets or something, then it might sag a little more. <laughs> so then, okay. Explain red shirt, blue shirt, and gray shirt in football. Okay. And Dusty could help me out. That is a term like I always get the question that most people that follow it closely know what red shirt means. That means you're on the team, you're not, you get five years to play four, right? Division one football, college football, you get five to play four. If you go, and you just practice, but you don't participate in more than four games, you could get what's called a red shirt, which means that year doesn't count against your eligibility. You still have four years to play. Red shirt. People that doesn't mean you're rare. A red shirt. That means you've got red shirt. I don't know why. Why the hell is a red shirt? You know, Dusty? Yeah, I think it was Nebraska back in the 60s or something would do that. And they put all the guys who weren't playing in, in practice shirt. in red shirts. That was the red shirts. Red shirt. Well, anyway, they must have adopted that, that, that logo. A, a gray shirt from a program standpoint, is this you signed a guy to play, but you didn't have enough room on the 85 limit to bring him in in the fall. So you ask him to wait. You graduated, wait a few months, and come in January. Mm -hmm. So your clock doesn't start. Your five-year window doesn't start until January. So instead of coming in the summer or in August, you wait till January to enroll, and then that thus you become a gray shirt. God, that's what gray shirt means. Why it's gray? I don't know, but it's gray shirt. Then the new term, or another one that's not people, most people don't know about or haven't heard as much is a blue shirt. So a blue shirt would be a guy that you want to have in your program, but you run out of room. You don't have 20, you have, you can't sign more than 25. You can't have more than, than that in a, in a signing class, but you have room on the 85 total. So what do you do there? Well, on a blue shirt, you cannot recruit him by in person. You can call or text. He doesn't sign with you uh, in February or December, and he doesn't enroll or come until the second day of practice in August. 
right? After the second day in practice, then you can put him on scholarship and he'll count to the next year's 25 instead of the back year that the uh, 25. So in a sense, you can get, if you have open spots and a guy agrees to wait till the second day uh, of, of fall camp to enroll and get on campus, then you can add them to your roster. He'll count against the 25 for the next year. Is that a good, pretty good description? Dustin? Really good description. And now it's becoming more prevalent than ever because Kids can't come to your campus on an official visit anyway. You can't see them. So now they'll be, I think you're going to see a lot more of the um, blue shirt blue shirts shirt going Canada. forward. And we want some. You allow them to get our numbers right, to get our roster right. Is I mean, we're kind of out of whack to certain things. You know, we, we are, we're not looking at gray shirts. Now we're looking at blue shirts. You know, we're going to sign to 25. We're going to have 25. There ain't going to be no problem there. We're going to have some, you know, and as many good players are out there in the transfer portal, what have you, we want you ULM. But we're also going to take some blue shirts, some guys that that uh, we know can play and help us, and they'll come the second, third day of, uh, of fall camp, and they'll count against next year's class, and but they'll play for us this year. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. So with the blue shirts, if they come second day of – uh, camp, they can play that season. Yep, they can play this season. And they'll count against next year's numbers, and so we wouldn't have twenty. If we had two of them come, then we only have twenty three that we could sign for the following year. Right. Okay. That's that was going to be my only question. What is your Rich Rod rant going to be this week? Okay, this rant is actually a topic that many officials uh, involved with the NCAA are discussing, and the coaches' organizations are as well. It's like, what's going to happen, Dusty, if a team is an up-tempo, fast-paced team on offense and they're not subbing so you can't sub on defense, what might you do defensively? Oh, my hamstring. Ooh. Oh, ooh, I, didn't know du- ooh. <laughs> I didn't know Dusty had hamstrings. But if the big fella <laughs> did have a hamstring and all of a sudden he plops down and you're wondering, okay, is he really hurt or is he playing possum? Well, you're seeing that now. And actually, uh, some coaches are teaching it, which, which is – you know, you, you can understand why, but, you know, is that really the intent of the game to fake an injury so you have a chance to substitute? And so how do you address that? Because how do you know if he really is hurt or he isn't hurt? You know, you can't – you know, it's not a reviewable thing. You're not going watch to watch it on film, and there are times guys get hurt. I think it's it's not an easy it's not an easy solution to it, but one that shouldn't happen in the game. And now they're going to say, well, your offense shouldn't go fast. Well – the rules don't say you have to huddle. It doesn't say you have to allow them to substitute. You'll have opportunities. times. You could take three timeouts. But I think what happens, the only way to really fix that, in my opinion, if they're talking about that, if a team is faking injuries, they're slowing the tempo down, and everybody's just like, oh, my gosh, you know. Well, then that guy that's hurt or supposedly hurt has to sit out the rest of the quarter or the rest of the half or the rest of the game. Now, you're not punishing them. If you're you're just being safe, right? The guy's obviously hurt. He needs more time to recover. He can't be ready in two plays to come back in if he was laying on the field for 10 minutes or five minutes or two minutes. What about yeah. rest of the possession? Yeah, or you can say the rest of possession. I don't know if that's long enough, you know, <laughs> for, for really for someone that's – you can say, what if a guy – boy, it's really tough for the guy that really does twist an ankle. What if he twists an ankle, sit out the rest of the quarter and come back in? You know, that kind of thing. Or how, you know, if you have an injury that causes the game to stop, obviously that's more than just a minor injury. That's a pretty serious injury. All right. If it causes the game action to stop and the trainers to come out, then sit out the rest of the quarter. 
if you want to go by series and then the second time by quarter and a half, whatever. But I think there's going to have to be something done because I'm seeing it more and more, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, did you just see him just flop? You know, it's like the, the soccer blatant. the soccer guys oh. that, that, that try to get the yellow card. or what, Is that what they call it? Yellow card. So. Yeah, yellow card right. or whatever, but just like, wow, it's just like, yeah. So we're going to answer a couple questions this week. One of our first questions for our listener was, quote, I saw Coach Rod playing a lot of bash concept, reading backside in and a QB run inside zone. I also saw a play where the QB read the backside in, and if he crashes, the QB tosses the football to the running back. And if he stays, the QB runs to counter. Is this a bash, also a bash play? He then asked, I was also wondering what his best concepts to be man match quarters and variations. Thank you. That's a loaded question. That's like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like 18 questions to one. <laughs> but that's good. The good, good, good point talking about the scheme wise. In a lot of it, when you run a read type of offense in the gun, whether you read the end, whether you read the three technique, whether you're in a linebacker, whether you read the, the nickel Sam outside on RPO, you know, all of it, it relates to the quarterback controlling one person with his decision. All right, the bash concept for us, the bash was reading a, a uh, defensive tackle in an odd front type of scheme. The one thing that was a little unique to what we do is there are times when you read the defensive end, and people I say this in the pros, that if you run a zone scheme and read the end, if that end is a war daddy and he is – really fast, he'll just go and tackle the mesh. He'll tackle the quarterback and the running back at the same time and create a big pile of crap. Well, uh, on the inside zone, if you run it correctly, uh, the fastest end in the world can't crash that mesh because it hits so quick. If you run an outside zone or a power scheme or a counter scheme and you read that end, uh, if that end is going straight at the mesh, sometimes he can get there. So a way to counter that sometimes is instead of reading the back coming across, all right, you have a toss sweep with him and a quick toss. Now he has to make decision, do I go out for the quick toss or do I stay in for the quarterback, that end? And so that quick toss type of read scheme is relatively new and something that was pretty effective for us, particularly if you have a quarterback that can run. Okay, next question. Um This person asks, do you still have any connections to high schools in Louisiana from your Tulane days or any former players from high school coaches that are still around in Louisiana area? Yeah, still have connections in the New Orleans area. Um, You know, some of the some of the best high schools down in uh, Orleans Parish. Uh, Still no coaches there. Of course, Curtis High School, JT Curtis, uh, the winningest coach. Ever in high school football. I mean, one more think about that. Ever in high school football anywhere is still there. And uh Jeff Curtis, his son, is still coaching there. He was one of my quarterbacks at Tulane. There were several people there. Uh, many Arizona fans remember Sean Brown from up here in the Shreveport area. Uh Sean is not coaching, he's actually doing real estate up here, but uh talked to some coaches up this way. And other coaches on our staff have a lot of ties in Louisiana. It's a great state for high school football. One of the best. I think at one time, it may still be to this day, per capita produces, per capita population produces more NFL players than any other state. And so a lot of good high school football players, a lot of good high school programs in this state. So in honor of signing day today, what is our funny, lighthearted story going to be to close out our episode? Well, Raquel, there's always a lot of interesting stories on signing date and recruiting. 
that one one of them kind of stands out in particular to me uh, regarding signing day. You know, West Virginia fans can remember the great Noel Devine, and people that followed recruiting or high school football can remember Noel Devine from Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, he probably had the most outstanding highlight film. It might be on YouTube that you've ever seen. I mean, mm-hmm. there were like six guys. You couldn't tackle them in a phone booth. And he, he there'd be six guys around him. He'd make them all miss. But anyway, so we started recruiting him. And uh, he took an, a, 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 you know, uh, an affection to West Virginia and Coach McGee and to our program. And he felt like it would be a family atmosphere. Uh, but he had everybody recruit him. And we worked really, really hard on him and worked on it. And he got comfortable with us. But he did not sign on signing day, which wasn't a surprise to us. And everybody doesn't realize that the first Wednesday in February back then, that was just the first day you could sign. For the next month and a half, you still could sign. And the last day, I think it was maybe March, the end of May, the last day of March was the last day you could sign. So we kept working and working. I mean, he had a lot of mentors, a lot of people giving him ideas. One of them was Deion Sanders, who was a great mentor to him. But uh, he was still getting pulled in a lot of different directions. We were obviously right in the middle of it staying and recruiting him. And a lot of people thought he hadn't had a qualified test yet. And some people were telling him, well, you're probably going to have to go to prep school in Connecticut or somewhere. And I said, you know how cold it is in the, in the, in the, uh, in the state of Connecticut, particularly during the winter. So anyway, long story short, we're finally the last day that you could sign the national letter of intent. We finally convinced him like at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. Hey, you got the letter of intent. You've had it in front of you. They sign it, West Virginia. Go ahead and sign it right now and fax it to us, and we'll be ready to go. He said, okay, I'll do it. And I said, look at the date on it. Well, the date, the, the letter of intents expire after two weeks. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't realize that. I was ready to fire the whole recruiting department, and, and really I should have fired myself because I didn't realize that it had expired after two weeks. So what he had, what he had in front of him would have been good. So I'm like, Oh my gosh. So we got it. We, we, we researched the rules and we found out we could fax him a let, a current letter of intent. Then he could sign it and fax it back. Well, by this time it's like 11 o'clock at night. We had an hour to do it. So, so we were telling the well, find a local Kinko's or something that has a 24 seven, uh, opening and you could get in there and fax it to us. So he found one down there in Fort Myers. He signed it, sent it back to us with like 10 minutes to spare before midnight. And so <laughs> Noel Devine was a mountaineer. And here it goes a month or two months later, he passes, takes, gets a qualifying ACT score, came and played, had a great freshman year, had a great career, graduated, and the rest is history. But uh, for a while they were like, we worked all this time. And he's got an expired letter of intent. Oh my gosh! But now he uh, he we got it signed. He found the Kinkos, and all is good. That darn paperwork. We'll get that darn paperwork. <laughs> what the heck? Anything you else you want to add to this week's episode? Well, thanks for listening. Of course, uh, we're excited about the podcast. It keeps growing. Uh, we're getting more and more people listening. A lot of people interested in it. In fact, we even. People were listening last week, Dusty, right? Because we, we got right. a shout out. Uh, give, we have to give a shout out to George Schaefer, who listened last week and said he heard that the fact that Coach Rodriguez and Coach Bowden and myself like diet, sun kissed, we're having trouble finding it <laughs> this week. Here comes George with 
five two liters of Diet Sunkist. Oh, thank a, you, George. There's a shortage of Diet Sunkist in Monroe, Louisiana. Can you believe oh, it's, that? It's nationwide. Oh, it's a nationwide. Yeah. Oh boy. But hey, hey, George came through for us. So now we appreciate we appreciate him and appreciate everybody else. And and uh, and we'll keep rolling with this thing. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, we appreciate you listening. And we will be taking the next couple weeks off. We've got a lot of things going on. So there's going to be a couple week break. So we won't be releasing any episodes next week or the week after. But make sure to stay tuned to our Instagram at Hard Edge Football, our Twitter at Hard Edge FB for updates on when we will return and for any updates on what's going on. 